Welcome to the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast, where you where you are given the secrets. I'm supposed to be saying where we let you in on the secrets commercial landlords would prefer you not know. Well, they're not going to know if you don't say it right. <laughs> <laughs> so it might be a long show today. Brought to you by Riata Commercial Realty, where we exclusively represent users of office and warehouse properties. Landlords have representation. Do you? Yes. <laughs> In today's podcast, I really like this. Back to a favorite topic of mine. Conflict. Okay, let's just start with it. JLL, a huge behemoth of a brokerage firm, can't collect $800,000 in commission after failing to properly disclose it repped both sides. We call that a conflict of interest. Well, this is a very interesting situation because on the surface, it looks like, well, JLL didn't, JLL didn't do their job and they didn't represent to both parties or disclose to both parties who represented whom. Now, in this case, they represented both the landlord and the tenant. And of course, as we always say, that's always a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And this highlights one of the reasons it's a bad idea, because you can't serve two masters on the same transaction. In your, and you shouldn't. Now, they would argue, hey, we have a group of people that exclusively represent tenants and another group of people that exclusively represent landlords. And that may be true, but they may still talk to each other. They may still own stock in their company. And if they own stock in their company, even though they only represent one side, theoretically, individually, they still have a financial interest in this in you know, the, the fees coming from the other side. So there's a lot of reasons, a lot of layers as to why this creates a conflict of interest, but give us some of the details of this one real quick. Well, it just had, it was in DC and the U S district court ruled that it properly didn't disclose that had a building that they were renovating and the top three floors were leased by Regis and and their sub what do i say um a portion of their business is called spaces and it's basically a co-working space kind of like a we work right and so the leasing agent for the building owner was jll and the tenant rep for spaces was jll now yes it was different people on each party but at the end of the day it was jll on both sides of the uh, deal. And while I didn't realize this part, but in this particular um, jurisdiction, it's called the DC Brokerage Act. You have to disclose that you're representing both sides. And when I say disclose, I think it actually says you're supposed to stand on the rooftop and scream it out. <laughs> I mean, this, this was shocking to me. It said bold lettering, 
all capital letters, underlined text, or in a separate box. So spaces did disclose this information on page 51 of 65, but they didn't have any of those emphasis that were required. And that's the, the interesting thing is that, you know, it wasn't so much that spaces was disclosing that because spaces was the tenant, but the lease on page 51, it said, and, and by the way, we don't have any inside knowledge on this particular deal. Uh, we weren't involved in it in any way. We're, we're getting all this information from an article that we re- read, but nonetheless, that, that disclosure was on page 51 of 65 pages in the lease, which is fine. It wasn't, you know, where it was placed in the lease that was a, a concern. It was that that DC brokerage act that you mentioned was excruciatingly explicit as to exactly how it has to be worded, how it has to be capitalized, all this kind of stuff. And that wasn't done exactly properly. And that's why the judge threw it out. And and yet the judge still um, basically made the statement uh, to the effect of, you know, that this was... Um, basically something that all parties knew about. There was disclosure to all parties in um, more than one location. It's just that because it wasn't to the detailed letter of the law in the lease, that's why the landlord was able to avoid paying this $781 million, I'm sorry, $1,000, $781,000 commission. And so it to me, the landlord was really taking advantage of a situation that they really shouldn't have. And I, I look at that landlord and say, you're going to have a problem in the market now. Mm-hmm. You know, you better pray you don't have any other space to lease because <laughs> if you're going to treat one of the biggest real estate companies in the country, if not the world, that way, the one who's representing you as well as the tenant, I mean, who else is going to bring you business? Anytime I, a landlord stiffs the agents on a commission, it, it's not going to go well for them. Well, no. And, you know, we we had a situation recently where we got um, told by a landlord that they weren't going to pay us a commission, not because we didn't do things the correct way or anything else. They just said, look, we just don't pay brokers commissions, period. And uh, <laughs> so we're not going to pay you. And, you know, so you can't really argue that too much. They, it's not like they did anything illegal. They did something stupid, sure, but they didn't do anything illegal. So we obviously didn't sue them or do anything else. We didn't pursue it any further. Um, but, I mean, if somebody doesn't want to work with you or if they want to run their business in a different way, they have that right to do so, however ill-conceived it might be. But the other thing I would say on this particular situation is um, that while the the landlord took advantage of a legal technicality, uh, and that's going to probably come back to hurt them, where the heck were the attorneys in this situation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm mean, aware of that DC brokerage act. It sounds like to me, well, or else either, they were just testing the water, or they were just being a bit uh, loose or or um, ne- neglect neglectful or lazy or I don't know just not paying attention to the details. And, uh, and when you have something that's required in, you know, bold and is that specific in a law, you have to pay attention to the details. One thing I wanted to mention, you had said 
that, you know, we didn't pursue that landlord that owed us money. We just let it go. That's true for that one incident. But you've told everyone, you know, this landlord <laughs> treats people this way. And the other thing is, obviously, it's not in our best interest to take people to that building. But you've always said, we'll do what's best for the client. True. But what's best for the client is to have a stand-up landlord. And if you know that's how that landlord responds to us, who knows the business, how do you think they're going to treat the tenants who don't? Well, we've already seen it. That particular building was a two-story building without an elevator. Right. I, yeah. I mean, there were so many things that weren't being done, deferred maintenance. It wasn't a good place for a tenant anyway. And the reason we were there was because the tenant was already there. We were simply working that right. renewal. So I've got to think that any tenant rep worth his salt is not going to show this building in D.C. anymore because he knows what that landlord's like. Well, and, and knowing what the landlord is like is important. And what, it's what we call sponsorship. What's the sponsorship like? Um, and as a tenant rep, if I'm taking a client to a building and I know that there's something about that landlord that is not quite you know, right, Kosher. or they're not doing things the way the rest of the industry is doing them, what, whatever the situation is, I am, you know, as a fiduciary to the tenant, I've got to tell them. And so if I say, hey, you know what, I'll show this building to you, but just FYI, they didn't pay a commission the last time, or they strung me out for six months, they have cash flow problems, um, they're not going to pay a, um, any money for improvements because they have cash flow problems. And, you know, part of the problem also is if they're not going to pay the tenant's broker on a renewal or expansion, that means that they are number one, charging the land, the tenant a above market rental rate now, mm -hmm. because presumably the rental rate that's negotiated is a market rental rate. But now the tenant is paying for a commission to their broker, if they're going to use a broker, they now have to pay the commission. So now they're paying the market rental rate plus the commission, mm -hmm. or they're paying a market rental rate, which includes a fee for the tenant's agent, but not getting the benefit of that if they don't have an agent working with them at that point. Either way, the landlord is putting the tenant in a position where they really can't be um, represented properly mm -hmm. or at all. And that's just a bad position for the tenant to be in. Now, in this particular situation that we were talking about, you know, as you pointed out, the tenant was already there. The tenant had delayed in getting there, um, mm -hmm. getting us involved. So they didn't even get us involved until six weeks before the lease expired. That was a huge mistake. And, uh, and they just weren't prepared to move. I mean, nor could they move that quickly. No. So there well, was a lot of problems there. Well, another example uh, where we had a landlord that strung us out on payment and we finally had to go break some kneecaps in a dark parking garage one <laughs> night to get paid. And guess what? We uh, Subsequently, a tenant has moved out and has been gone now since September of last year. And they still haven't received their deposit back. Yeah. Bad and landlord is a bad landlord all the way around. Well, and I had told that landlord you know, I will never bring you another tenant unless there is what we call offset rights in the lease. So basically what that means is if one party to a lease doesn't do what they're supposed to do, the other party can 
you know, do it themselves and deduct the rent or charge, take it away from their security deposit, whatever. So in this case, I had negotiated. In fact, this was another situation where the tenant was already in the building and our client did an extension of their lease. And I said, if we do this extension of the lease, we have to have offset rights in the lease so that if you don't pay me because you didn't the last time, you strung me out for months and months and months the last time. So if you don't pay me within 30 days as our agreement requires, then the tenant can start paying me the rent until I've been paid off. And they agreed to it, but I made that a, a, an agreement right up front mm-hmm. and, uh, and they, they understood that that was gonna be the case. So let, let's get back to the conflict of interest conversation for a minute. Because, you know, this situation, the thing we typically talk about are the conflicts of interest where you have a brokerage house representing two sides of a transaction, a tenant and a landlord, a buyer and a seller, whatever. But there are other kinds of conflicts of interest. And you reminded me of one earlier today where we were representing a tenant who was already in a building and uh, and they hired us to represent them and they weren't happy about another tenant that the landlord had put in the building and the reason they didn't like that tenant being in the building was because that tenant was a very controversial tenant they offered services that were very controversial and they had protesters camped out on the lawn in front of the building it just wasn't the vibe that our tenant needed for their type of work. The usage, the two usages were very, very different. Well, I don't think the usage would have really mattered that much because both of them are fairly quiet um, uses. But it was the fact that so many people were protesting the service of that other tenant that created the, the conflict. And so our client was like, get me out of this building as quickly as you can. And so we started looking around at other options and one of the other buildings in the, in the area that would have been a perfect option for them was represented by the same leasing company and the same individual as well. And so I went two to that di- individual. Two different owners. Two different owners, two different but buildings. the same leasing company. Same leasing company, same leasing agent. And I went to that leasing agent who I knew well, had done quite a few deals with. And I said, hey, give me, um, give me a proposal on this, you know, building number two. And he says, I can't do that. I was like, why not? He said, because I represent that landlord and I represent this landlord. And if I move this tenant to the other landlord's building, this landlord in building A is going to be mad at me. <laughs> and I said, well, hold the phone here. Building A is losing this tenant either way. So you're telling me you'd rather have both of your landlords lose out than to show me the other one and have a chance that they go to that building B. And he's like, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. I can't get in the middle of that. And I was like, that's a terrible conflict of interest. You just screwed your building B owner from having an opportunity without even telling him or telling building B uh, a, so, I mean, in my mind, first of all, he shouldn't have had two listings with different owners that are directly competitive buildings. But secondly, if even though he had already done that, he should have at least fully disclosed to both parties mm-hmm. the situation and let them make the decision. I mean, who knows? Maybe the landlord in building A would have said, hey, I, I understand the deal. I know we're going to lose them. Go ahead and show them the other building. Right. But he never even gave them that option. Mm-mm. That, that mm-hmm. was a bad idea. 
the other now now there are times when having multiple buildings within a market can be good back when i was on the landlord side uh, we had a building we actually the company i worked for had two buildings in las colinas and i would say one was what i would call a b b minus building another one was kind of an a minus building and we got proposals from various companies to lease that building for us but they all had conflicts or either conflicts of interest, or I just didn't feel that they were the best solutions. And there was a company that had a lot of property in that market. And I went to that company and said, look, I know you have a building right across the street and you have another building down the street, but those are higher end buildings. And so, you know, you have a price point of, I, I don't remember what the numbers were now, but, you know, one was maybe at $30 a square foot. One was at $25 a square foot. Another one, and then my building was at $20 and another one was at 15. And I, I'm just making those up for illustration, but, but basically my buildings were a step below where their buildings were. And so I felt like a tenant would come to them, not be willing to pay the rent for that high-end building and then they could say, hey, but we have these other two buildings. And so I felt like, you know, that quote conflict of interest really was to my benefit and didn't hurt their client because they were a different class. And mm. so we weren't likely to be competing for the same tenant on the same buildings. Right. Um, and so they actually took our buildings and it was a really successful situation. Well, um, pit oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to pivot. Well, no, well, uh, to another conflict of interest thing, or I think so I've, this entire podcast is a conflict <laughs> of interest. <laughs> All right, so I'm I'm going to bring up one other potential conflict of interest here. Okay. Uh, so that and, and there's there's many. Uh, you know, the, on the landlord side, you could have a conflict of interest where if you're listing a building for sale, and you are representing, you know, landlord A, and you're now trying to market it for sale, but you know, landlord B, who's putting the building under contract, wants to talk to you about listing the building for lease after the sale. Well, now that landlord is potential, I mean, that service provider is now potentially in a conflict of interest situation because now are they really acting for landlord A who's mm -hmm. selling the building or for landlord B who's buying the building? That creates a potential conflict of interest. The one I was going to uh, mention, however, is what about tenant rep conflicts of interest? Is there ever a time when a tenant rep, a purely tenant rep firm, can be in a situation where they have a conflict of interest? Absolutely. All right. What do you think? What well, kind of if, if I happen to be an investor in building A, and but I'm going to show buildings A, B, and C to my client, which way am I going to steer them? I mean, yep. that's, that's always something you've said that we didn't want to have a position in building so that we were completely agnostic and neutral. And I, I met uh, with a guy the other day who is an industrial broker and he and I are doing a deal together. And he said, so uh, are you an investor in buildings? And I said, well, I'm an investor in a, um, like a self-storage property, but I never, I never work self-storage deals. So there's no conflict of interest there. He was a partner in 17 buildings. Oh my goodness. And he, he, so he was on the landlord ownership side of that, mm -hmm. but at the same time, he represents tenants in the same market. And I was like, how do you, how do you get away with that? And, and his answer was, well, you know, you just disclose everything as if that's the, 
sort of the, uh, the answer to everything. And disclosure is a huge part of things. Mm-hmm. And you, but at the same time, just because I disclose, hey, I'm representing both of you, or I've, I've got this conflict of interest, you know, does that mean that that's my get out of jail free car and I, sh- I should, um, I should continue on that road? And yes, it is the get out of jail free card. But does that mean that he's got his client's best interest in that? I just don't think it presents well to a client. If someone's telling me that, how do I feel about them? My, my yeah. favorite illustration that you've always given for this is, is a couple going to divorce. Are they going to hire the same attorney? It, it's Perfect. the exact same thing. There's no way you can represent each side adequately. Yeah. Or if one, one company is going to sue another company and they say, Hey, but you know what, let's save some money. Let's hire a lawyer and have them represent both of us. It it just sounds ludicrous. And yet in the real estate business, this happens all the time and it it just makes no sense. Let me give you one other example though, of a tenant rep conflict of interest. What if a tenant rep is representing two clients with the exact same need so if you have two tenants who are, you know, 3,000, 5,000 square feet, probably not much of a contra- conflict because there's so many options out there at that price, at that size point. But let's say you've got uh, a client who needs uh, 100,000, 200,000, 400,000 square feet. There's a very limited number of options for that. So if you've got two tenants that you're representing that, you have only a handful of options that could accommodate and you're representing both of those. Is that a conflict of interest? Can you really represent both of those equally and dispassionately and, and have their, you know, the fiduciary responsibility uh, fully um, available when, Hey, if I, if I put them into that building, this, you know, tenant A into that building or show that to them, then that means B may not be able to get it and vice versa. So that could be a situation where there's a conflict of interest on a tenant rep side as well. Too many conflicts of interest. (laughs) Okay. Now I'm going to pivot. Okay. I mean, we've all kind of known about this, but this story just really brought it home. Supply chain issues have affected everyone everywhere, but Someone was told the other day when they went to place an order for steel products for their building, sorry, I can't help you. Amazon has bought everything in production for the next six months. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Well, it is, but it's because I need my items delivered overnight. So (laughs) I don't have a conflict of interest in this one. I'm going with Jeff and Amazon. (laughs) Yeah, you do have a conflict of interest in this one. (laughs) You sell everything (laughs) Jeff needs right now. (laughs) Well, you know, what's interesting to me about this one is that um, it's basically an end user. Instead of buying through their contractors like normal, they are going to the supplier and buying directly. So they went and bought the steel supply directly because they knew they were going to need it because they're opening up so many different mm-hmm. warehouses all at the same time. And they wanted to make sure they weren't left without supplies. But guess what? That meant that other people wouldn't have a supply. Yeah. I mean, what that um, company that got told that ended up doing is they went to a smaller fabricator who could do it locally 
and they were able to shave off a lot of the time for delivery time, but the cost went from 65,000 to almost a hundred thousand. Wow. But it might've helped save them getting the deal at all, but then you've well, got to pass that cost through. So while Jeff is saving me money on this hand, he's costing me costing money me on that hand. Well, but you know, what's also interesting about this story is this story was a couple of weeks ago, but I just saw, what was it yesterday or the day before there was a headline that said that the Amazon CFO says we have too many warehouses and too many employees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, so maybe they're going to have some steel for sale. <laughs> how, how is he going to ship that and get it on my front porch? <laughs> I don't know, but if it's not next day delivery, forget it. <laughs> Take your prime membership. <laughs> I, I was listening to a podcast this morning while I was out running um, it's called the, uh, the last laugh. And this guy interviews comedians and he was interviewing this guy named, uh, Ronnie Chang, uh, C H I E N G. And he's a Chinese, um, um, I guess he was actually a Chinese guy in Malaysia who came to the U S used to be on the daily show. He's a stand-up guy who has a special on Netflix. And I actually saw him in New York when we were there with the family, uh, last September, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And so my son and my daughter and I went to this, um, comedy club and this guy was there and, uh, and he does this bit about Amazon and how I want Amazon prime is not good enough. I want Amazon. Now, if I order it, <laughs> I want it now. I want to hit the buy button and then have them lovely, lovingly and Ding dong. Right in my hands immediately. I want it now. <laughs> <laughs> it just I could have written that bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, that you might have been the model for that bit. I'm not sure. <laughs> the poster child. <laughs> well, did you want to comment any more on the supply chain or am I going to shut this bad boy down? No, I mean, it's just indicative of the whole situation with supply chain. And, it, and it's also uh, similar to uh, what I heard about where um, manufacturers or people that were importing, I should say, from China and other places we're going and buying, um, you know, buying out a ship or renting out a ship to get all their shipments. I, I heard the Home Depot did that and some others where they were having such a hard time getting their shipments uh, guaranteed that they just went to Maersk or, you know, whoever the, the line was and just said, hey, I'll, I'll just rent the whole ship and um, or, or a, a block of uh, capacity or whatever. And that was, you know, a year or more ago, I want to say. So this is just another example of, of manufacturers, retailers, whomever, uh, going and buying, circumventing the normal channels to get what they need to support their business. And I, mm -hmm. I honestly don't really fault them for doing that. It kind of screws it up for other people. But you know what? Hey, it's thinking outside the box. They're keeping their people employed. They're keeping their families fed. It's and, you know, they're the behemoths. So, I mean, you're going to, if you're the supplier and Amazon comes to you and says, I'm going to buy out the next, you know, 90 days of, of steel supply, you're probably going to do it. It Why was six you? months. Were you not listening? Six months. So, six okay. Months. Well, I was just giving an example. I wasn't trying to be specific. <laughs> <laughs> we thank you so much for listening to yet again, another episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast brought to you by our friends over at Riata Commercial Realty, where we never represent the landlord. We always represent tenants. Thanks for listening. Give us a call, 972-677-0028.
or find me on the World Wide Web at TexasTenantRep.com. See you next week. Bye.